With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Freightonomics. I am Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freight Waves, and I'm here alongside Zach Strickland. He's back. I'm the back. Sultan of Sonar and director of Freight Market Intelligence is knower of all things random and factual. So this is Freightonomics, where we combine freight and economics, more importantly, economics, but we have a freight aspect as well. We're excited that you can join us. We took a slight break last week, but we are back and we're happy that you can join us. If you're watching right now, and it just so happens to be Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are also streaming. So if you're on LinkedIn, be sure to give us a comment or a shout out and we'll be sure to get to you. But with that, Zach, welcome back from your vacation. Yes, vacation. The welcoming back that I get is that it's pouring down rain here in Chattanooga. Uh, away from the sunny beaches of uh, northern Florida there uh, on Highway 30A. But yeah, I'm back uh, and ready to talk some freight today. And we got a pretty good show, Anthony. We got, you know, I, I had like a day uh, to get back in mode uh, and get back with the freight scene and, and, and whatnot because I didn't, I didn't see a lot of trucks in the panhandle. A fun fact for those that don't know the industry as well is that the northern panhandle of Florida is a freight desert. <laughs> um, not a lot of action, not a lot of origins, very vacation-y, heavy spot. Uh, so I didn't see a lot of tractors and trailers, which is going to be a big topic of today's show. We've got Alan Adler That's right. here to talk about the Class A order situation, semiconductors, all sorts of fun stuff, uh, you know, and really try to figure out and discern how long will the market stay this way? Because last time, 2018, uh, hit us, it was, you know, everybody went out and bought a truck, Capacity eased really quickly. That's not the case this year. Supply chain, now transportation, even contributing uh, to these problems. Uh, so we're going to talk that through uh, That's right. a little bit later with uh, with Alan. We got Adler. We got news. We got memes. Is that a thing? Memes. Memes, for those of you that don't know or haven't watched mm. our new formatted show, our hour <laughs> format, uh, if it will. We're filling time, if you will, for those that watch the show can visually see uh, some of the memes that we put up here. So, uh, you know, and that's how we lead off the show. We kind of get things started with some fun, uh, you know, getting people in the mood to talk freight and economics at the same time. So let's get it kicked off with some meme-onomics. So, Anthony, I know you weren't a freight broker. No, that I know of. <laughs> I know you weren't a freight broker. I dabbled in the space uh, briefly in the early part of my career. And this meme right here is, I feel like, pretty relatable in itself. Uh, about the perception of freight brokerage in the United States. Now, this is probably one of the toughest years in history to be a freight broker. Uh, every day, you've got to come in and basically encounter frustration. Yeah. <laughs> because back, uh, you know, just a few short years ago, freight brokers basically just said, I'm going to go and find some shippers. And then all I got to do is just go pick a handful of carriers and go, they'll, they'll come to me. Yeah. <laughs> they'll yeah. come to me. They're happy to get the freight. But now it has just turned into outer chaos. Cares have their pick of the litter and shippers. If you sh if you're able to show up anywhere, 
Yeah. So the freight broker's job being in the middle of the situation with no assets in control. And obviously the shippers are uh, essentially like begging for them to find freight and wanting it there in a timely manner. Uh, what my friends think I do sitting at this glorious little 18 screen setup to where I can look at 15 different things at once. Mm -hmm. That's accurate in a lot of places, but not necessarily it's not glorious. It's not typical. <laughs> no, it's not typical. Uh, what my mom thinks I do, you know. Closing deals. Yeah, just settling stuff up. I'm a very respectable young man or woman. Uh, and then what society thinks I do, it's a big frat house. <laughs> That's partially what I think. That's partially what I think. It's uh, maybe on Fridays-ish, <laughs> but I would doubt in the last several months that that's that accurate <laughs> what i think i do probably not at this point anymore being the wolf of wall street but you can make some decent money as a freight broker if you're very active and not willing to sleep uh whereas i think you would come in handy there yes if you don't need sleep you it's definitely a waste of time jump in that freight brokerage game and what i actually do sitting there in a, in a queue more than likely yelling at a computer screen trying to get coverage for my freight <laughs> and making sure it is where it needs to be in a timely manner. So Zach, <laughs> I see that there's five images here. Now, could you maybe just like paint a picture if there was a sixth one of what drivers think I do? Uh, drivers think that you, you combine probably the fraternity house one uh -huh. <laughs> and the Wolf of Wall Street one, <laughs> uh, you know, together. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what they essentially think that they do more than likely. I would, I would assume. And of course, a little bit of that yelling because you definitely get you get active. You got You, you have, have to have to. my energy as a freight broker. You cannot come into the day willing to just kind of take it easy and, and sit back it's because early it too. It early early in the day. Yeah, it won't let you. It won't let you talk to Kevin Hill about that. No. <laughs> Speaking of drivers, you got another one here. Yeah. So this one, this one has got to be the most, I guess, topical one uh, that I have for the show today. Driver shortage plus this sixty thousand new jobs hitting the market. You're going to have a bad time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we've talked about the driver shortage and, of course, the South Park. I love the you're going to have a bad time yeah. <laughs> uh, memes. But, uh, you know, the, the driver shortage, you know, has never had to compete with such an amazing amount of competition in the workspace. Yeah. The hourly jobs that are out there right now, the construction jobs, all these white collar jobs coming online all at once. And nobody wants to take them right now. Yeah. Anthony? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's going to be, there's an uphill battle. There's going to be some friction there with no one wants to take these shops that what are paying and the, sub the substitute of labor. I mean, if I can make something of a similar wage doing something that's a little bit maybe easier, maybe I don't have to be away from my family, maybe it's not as stressful or strenuous on my body or taxing on my mind, I think the choice has been made for me. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the stimulus package that still has some, some tail on it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. why do I need to work if I don't have to work? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. You know what I did? What did you did? I did uh, Economy Lately episode on this. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to plug my own. I want to plug my own show. I mean, but we did an Economy Lately on this on what's going on with jobs. Where are people going back to work and things like that? And that's right. exactly one of the biggest points is that there is that stimulus that's still in place. I mean, and, and everybody kind of thought this is the problem with the government printing money. Yeah. You know, there, you're, if you just hand out a bunch of money, I don't think it necessarily was the wrong thing to do <laughs> uh, in, in, the, in the short term by any means. But we'll see how this plays out in the long run. For sure. I, think, I think there's going to be some wonky stuff. And again, I'm going to tune into your economy lately, which 
the one thing you do that I do approve of is the economy lately. So if you Even haven't seen it. Even when I take shots at you, I mean, <laughs> you got to love it. But the other thing is, I mean, when we're looking at uh, the print off of money, there has to be some kind of impact from it, seeing how 35 to 40% of all U.S. dollars in circulations were printed in the last 12 months. That seems substantial. You know, if, if we could just open up government and print money all the time when don't work, mm. we would have already done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people would have signed up for that one. That's not how, like, just common sense tells you that's that's probably, because obviously that's just what we would do. Yeah, not sustainable. Hey, not no, sustainable. No, you got to have somebody doing something, adding that, value to the, uh, to the system. You can't just sit there and take money for nothing. Um, I guess some can for a short period of time, but yeah. in, a, in a society to work, well, that's not a great situation. Um, all right. The final meme that I have for us today, uh, this one's relevant in terms of if you have, you know, been in our, under a rock for the last several years and uh, in, in having somebody question your increasing freight costs, which this has got to happen yeah. all the time at this point. Uh, yeah, I know the brokers out there have heard this type of statement over and over. $3,000, that lane cost me $21.50 five years ago. Why did it go up? <laughs> if you're asking this question, just go back to bed, mm -hmm. get, get some good sleep. You're going to need it. <laughs> yeah. uh, things have changed in a five-year period. I know that's unusual for some people to figure out, but it's, you know, freight costs. I mean, it's actually, that's actually lower than I would have expected. I mean, and you also have ago. to kind of think of like larger carriers that are, sorry, larger shippers that maybe work with contracts entering the spot market for the first time in a while. It's right. just like, just blindsided as what's happened. What year is it? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I love the, that meme, the face mm -hmm. of that guy, uh, kind of the clueless guy. What's the name of that meme, by the way? I don't know. know. Let's get a follow up on it. And what, let's actually become, invite him on the show. Has he become an NFT yet? A he needs to be an NFT. Token? Yeah. Or that's still a thing, or is that like last week? Dude, that's probably, I went on vacation. You got to tell me. Okay. I don't think, I think it might still be a thing, but the bubble might be shrinking. Who knows? <laughs> but there has to be some applicability to it, right? There has to be some use for NFTs, I'm sure. I don't for think artists so. artists and creators? I don't maybe? know. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's our new, that's the new economy. You need to get on top of it. You got to get on top of it. <laughs> Speaking on getting on top of it, all of the latest within the economy, I think we have another segment around the news. Yes. Newsonomics. So we're going to get you guys kicked off for the week. The most relevant topics uh, for what we think are, are happening right now in the news. That's exactly it. So, so starting off with the first one, we have a story that was written on our very own FreightWaves.com. If you don't check it out for our articles, we're putting out a lot of good stuff. And I, I know I might be a little bit biased talking about the FreightWaves and, you know, I work here, but we put out a lot of good stuff. Our editorial team is always on it around the clock. Breaking news, but... The first story that we have here is around Daimler uh, trucks is short of workers across the board. And this is coming from the CEO. I, I mean, I, I know this may not be a shock at this point, but, yeah. you know, we're going to have the, the guy that wrote this article on the show here in a little bit, Alan Adler, uh, to talk about some of this in a little bit more detail. But imagine that they're short of workers, um, you know, and this again, we're talking about a capacity situation that's not like it's. Like this is a self-fulfilling mechanism. Like we're not able to get capacity. We're not able to fix the capacity situation. And there's more demand flowing through the system because yeah. they need to build trucks. Now they don't have the employees or the workers to build the trucks. So they can't fix the system. Yeah. And, and I, it's just, 
And, and Daimler, of course, the in terms of market share, the largest in the nation for domestic uh, truckload carrier providers. They are, of course, they, they supply more of what they, we consider fleet trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the stuff the larger carriers typically uh, purchase. And there's, you know, in a normal year, six to nine month lead time, they can't even produce trucks. I'm going to, we're going to talk about this a little bit more detail later about how, what they're doing to get around it, how is it going to impact the market, et cetera. Again, check out the article though, uh, short of workers for Daimler, extremely relevant topic, especially as we move into the third and fourth quarter when we don't have any trucks exactly. <laughs> coming it, online. So it's like dumping into that one. Uh, I mean, I always do this. I jump into a topic and I get into a rabbit hole. So you might have to pull me back out of this one, but when looking at what's going on in the economy and this whole self-fulfilling prophecy of like people not going back to work, but there's still this adequate demand and the demand is outpacing so much that's going on within the supplies and we're needing these supplies to be transferred throughout the market. So it's like this big cycle. But one of the things that we're talking about throughout the early parts of the pandemic was this state by state reopening process that it's not going to be the same across the board. And those states and those businesses that potentially open up sooner we're going to have a little bit of an advantage of those that are kind of waiting around to see what happens and not quite take action. I can only imagine that this might be the exact same or somewhat similar situation for those employees that are maybe slowing down or not quite returning to the workforce just yet, not because of COVID scares or anything like that, but maybe they're getting so good on those unemployment benefits. Maybe I have enough savings from this last year of unemployment benefits, those stimulus packages to say, hey, I can kind of take my time returning back to the workforce. That might be great, but I can only imagine that those that return back to the workforce early on are going to have a much more or be in a better position by the end of the year. And there's going to be a lot of people looking for work all at once. I can only imagine if there's a complete you know, shut off. You know it's going to happen that way. That's exactly what's being set up. We said it way back over a year ago when the pandemic was hitting. Like if you're you know, taking that stimulus and thinking like, I'm going to take some time off, yeah. et cetera. Like, great, good for you. Uh, but, you know, and I almost want to put this, that meme over the top of you when you were saying this, you know, the, the guy that's, he looks like the guy from reading rainbow. I can't, LeVar Burton. Yes. Yeah, like he, I always thought it was him at first, but I was yeah. like, no, he's old now. Um, but the, uh, that, that's like that more, you know, yeah. like, yeah. You're thinking for the now, you're feeling good about it, but the people that are getting jobs now and willing to work now, they're definitely going to be in a better position. Better position, and a lot of them are going to be getting some incentives. I mean, you're yep. seeing like all these companies hiring right now that are really kind of positioned, hey, come on board. We have the signing bonus. We have, we're giving away iPhones. Maybe if they can get an iPhone, who knows, an Xbox One, whatever. They're having these, these incentives. They even have these... Uh, you know, pathways built out to, hey, this is how you become a manager yeah. within our establishment. So it's like getting in early. But you know what? Our audience is too smart for this. We don't need to tell them that. You don't need to tell them. <laughs> you don't need to tell them already. that. This is common sense to them. Uh, they all, they've all figured it out a long time ago because they were watching our show back when the pandem pandemic hit and we were talking about this a little bit. Exactly right. So next story of the day. Now, this one I think is a huge deal. Um, the, the Prime Day announced for later in June, June 21st, June 22nd for Amazon Prime. And last year we had it in October. <clears throat> yeah. Huge impact to retail. Uh, you know, it totally disrupts uh, the retail cycles, transportation. Anthony, I got to ask you at this point, like what, what economic reason makes this make sense? Because I have all sorts of like problem with this. Yeah. Number one, it's like last minute, like, oh, wait, here comes Prime Day. 
for all you transportation providers where capacity, we're already sitting at 24, 25% capacity. Like June is already tight. We're all, and now they're getting no notice. You're talking about prime day, one to two day deliveries. Do they have inventory yet? I mean, what, what do you think is happening here? So off the top of my head, I think there's a few things here. So one, what Amazon does, others follow suit. And when you're a large player, you can put pressure on other people. So thinking about minimum wage, like when large corporations want to push the minimum wage into place, like say, we're going to make minimum wage $15 an hour, something like that. They can do that. They can take that hit. They know smaller or medium-sized companies can't take that hit. And it's great because they can get more money into their workers, but they're also going to be able to put their competition in a worse off position. So imagine they're going to move Prime Day early up. They might be able to handle it. They have the infrastructure for them. They might be a little bit delayed, but they're also going to put pressure on their competitors because they follow suit of whatever Amazon does. And so I could be looking into another rabbit hole here, but say I'm Amazon, I do this. You guys got to follow suit. Try to keep up. I'm going to outpace you every step of the way, and you're going to be in a bad position. By the end of the year, I'm going to be better positioned because you're still trying to play catch up to where I was earlier on in, in the summer. So I think that could be a potential play. Um, try to keep up to the biggest player in the game. I, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. This is fascinating the thing to talk about for me. Like I was thinking about purely transportation centric inventory management, warehouse logistics. And you're, I mean, this makes total sense when you, when you say it that way, um, that you're talking about, you know, basically putting other people on it. Like they're, they're out of position now. Yeah. It's classic, you know, art of war. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it's at a poker table. You're just like bullying them. Like, all right, bet. And you know, you're just raising it up and just watching them squirm and you know, they don't have it. Yeah. Especially, you know, and I, but again, I have to think like, you know, I, you know, I deal with Amazon all the time as most people do. Uh, you know, we're still not fully back to where we were no, with no. our order situations, our order cycles. I mean, maybe people have gotten used to not getting it in a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some of the prime orders, et cetera. And, but I know that the parcel, you're talking about overloaded. The parcel system's already at max capacity. Yeah. And, and the logistics of this situation feel like, you know, it's just going to be insult to injury for a lot of the, the carriers out there and uh, transportation providers. And I know Amazon is now a transportation provider on their own accord. So maybe they've got that kind of set up to where they're like, I don't know. This is that's it's fascinating to me to see uh, what happens with this, especially since June is not really a. We're not talking about a soft time of the year in June. Yeah, yeah. Like July is actually a softer period. Christmas in July. Uh, yeah, yeah, Christmas in July. Like that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in terms of infrastructure, uh, when they traditionally have it is in the middle of July. We've already kind of had that huge vacation period around the Fourth of July. People have taken their time off, but June is. Is kind of that ramp up before everybody takes a vacation and the transportation system is already like strained. Yeah. And, and another point of, I think we were chatting earlier last week, um, pull forwards of different uh, seasons. So maybe they're also anticipating pulling forward other parts of the retail or uh, seasonality or seasonal yeah. trends. And so maybe this is a, a part they pull forward. And maybe they'll also, because they're Amazon, they can interject small little pop-up Hey, big weekend deal in July. And so I think a mix of pull forward of these seasonal trends in addition to let's put some pressure on the competition here. Let's yeah. watch them squirm. Yeah. So tender rejection rates tend to average, uh, you know, a high, a much higher in June than they are in July uh, by the end of it. Uh, but the thing is that they're typically trending down 
in, in July. And again, the last three years when we've looked at this, every single year has been completely different. Yeah. Last year we were at about, you know, or 2019, I should say we were about five, six percent, uh, you know, in June uh, and it ramped up to seven percent mm -hmm. uh, the year before that. Uh, dramatically different. We were roughly 23 percent, 23 to 24 percent this year. We're at 24 percent yet again. Uh, far different trend line uh, for that purpose. But July, much softer in October when they had it last year. Yeah. It tends to be a softer period of the year, but it wasn't <laughs> Yeah. Uh, because COVID and all that nonsense. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. So we've had some macroeconomic stuff come out. That's right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's Thursday. Yeah. And so that means one thing for me initial jobless claims. And I've been so skeptical throughout the past, but it's easing. I mean, it's just still some skepticism around some of the overall unemployment numbers. But when we're looking at the latest number, what we have from the initial jobless claims, we see another pandemic low. And that's what we have here in this sonar chart is initial jobless claims on a weekly basis. Comes out every Thursday. Last week was at 406,000 applicants. This week, we see that there were 385 applicants for initial jobless claims. So we're in that 300,000 range. That's something significant. Historically, 300,000 and upwards or upper 300,000s were indicative of a higher, you know, reading, but it's not unheard of. Like for pre-pandemic, we were in the 200,000 mark. So we are definitely nearing those normalized initial jobless claims numbers. That's fascinating. I mean, especially considering the, uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, white collar jobs. Yeah. People can't hire anything. We're starting to see this ramp down. Do you think that we'll be through this uh, by the third quarter? I think so. I think if we continue to stay on this trajectory, I mean, we might find a base of, you know, settling around those 300,000 to upper 200,000. There might be a base there of those that are still kind of collecting unemployment right. advantageously, or maybe not. I don't right. know your situation. I don't, I'm not saying that you're taking advantage or doing any kind of fraudulent attempts. I'm just saying we might see a settling there until we see a full-on retraction from either state levels or a federal level of, okay, benefits are actually officially cut off on those bonus benefits. And so I think we will continue to see that, that downward movement. We're going to have to wait and see what happens with unemployment uh, rates on tomorrow's release. But there's so many different measures. There's that. There's the um, job ADP. creation too. Have we not created jobs with all We've the jobs. with all the volatility? Like so, in a normal year, you know, if we were just going back to the way things were, status quo, yeah, it would be one thing. But I believe we've actually had some job creation throughout this whole situation because of all the adaptation. Yeah, that that's companies right. have had to. That's right. I mean, we have the ADP May report that shows that 978,000 jobs were created in the most recent month. So that's nearly 1 million jobs that were created for non-farm. We call them non-farm. That's the way it's broken out, um, right. jobs. And so there's a lot more. Well, not just 100-something years ago, we were still an agrarian yeah. society. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. You know, over 100 years ago now, but I guess it was, you know, not that long ago. Relatively. Not that long ago, but the classification <laughs> still stands and holds to this day. And what we're seeing is that there were nearly a million jobs created in the most recent month. And so that's something substantial. I think it outpaced a lot of people's expectations. In addition to this, when we're looking at the upstream, I always have to look at it upstream versus downstream. Upstream at the manufacturing level, manufacturers are talking about the difficulties in getting labor in-house. And I think this also is going to lead into later on what we talk about Alan talk to Alan Adler about what some employment shortages and what's going on with the whole chip shortages and automotive and right. all that. But looking at manufacturing right now, like the ISM PMI, I love that index that comes out mm -hmm. every single month, 
shows an increase in manufacturing. So the industry in the, the segment is expanding. Um, it dipped down slightly for prices, ever so slightly, still highly elevated. So I think well into the 80s um, for prices, but that's not going to be a you know an area of that shows that there's just continued expansion in prices, right. just expansion at a slower rate. And so it all, it's all going to come downhill, and that's going to lead into some of the things that we're talking about in the last episode of inflationary pressures. Yeah, I, I mean, the manufacturing sector is is cranking right now, and they're yeah. coming online, and we're going to talk to Alan here in a minute. Uh, but first up, we've got Whatonomics. That's it. <laughs> so this is where we take a few minutes just to describe a data point or a piece of information for those of you that may or may not have had any exposure to it. I know that I could have used this help back in the day, uh, tr trying to get a little bit of this information you know, if you're not thinking about it, maybe you should, or maybe you shouldn't. It's your decision. It's your life. You live how you want to live, as the famous John Bowes once said. Uh, you know, uh, so this week, and again, this is going to bleed right into our guest, uh, Class 8 orders. So first of all, what is a Class 8 order? Anthony Smith, do you know what a Class 8 order what is? What is a Class 8 order? I mean, I think it has something to do with the order of trucks and those equipments that, that holds those equipments throughout the, the country. Well, let's pull up a chart of these Class 8 orders. We have a chart for We have a chart of is these Class sonar? 8 orders. It is in Sonar. Uh, of course, those of you that have Sonar already probably know this, but if you don't, Class 8 orders, of course, considered somewhat of a leading indicator about how capacity is going to be added to the market. Now, if you look back, uh, so this is basically the equipment that you see hauling those 53-foot trailers. This yeah. is not your F-150s uh, <laughs> or, or, or you know F-250, F-350. That's the only that's the only other trucks I know, um, you know, but any of your light trucks, uh, you know, and some of your smaller uh, equipment does not haul freight. These are the truck orders that haul the big freight, the truckloads out there. Some of the LTL obviously uh, runs mainly on diesel, although we're getting some electric mm -hmm. <laughs> involvement here. We're going to ask Alan about that. So when these orders start to increase, they tend to follow when carriers have money. <laughs> If you look at 2018, uh, 2017, 2018, CARES got a huge of, amount of cash. Yeah. So they're trying to reinvest in their equipment. Some of them will not uh, replace their trucks uh, you know, if we have a down cycle, which 2016 was a down cycle year uh, for trucking. And so CARES kind of held off. They said, all right, we're going to let our fleet age a little bit, maybe a year, until we get some of that cash. Mm -hmm. Because also they don't need those trucks, but it's very difficult. <laughs> you can't just buy a truck and say, you know what? I don't need this truck anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where you start looking at some of the huge truck price market and whatever. But right now you can't buy a used truck <laughs> anywhere. They're out, they're gone. Uh, so class eight orders uh, are something that you look at when you're trying to gauge, okay, how good do carriers feel about their situation? How much money do they have? Also what's about to happen? Mm. Because a class eight order runs about a six to nine month cycle in terms of fulfillment. Now, not this year, <laughs> but in normal years, you have a six to nine month fulfillment cycle. They put these orders in traditionally at the end of the year uh, when they're hitting their budgets. Uh, you know, they're basically saying, all right, we've got enough budget to have. They start evaluating their equipment needs, et cetera. Put in these orders now, uh, depreciate them over time or take that immediate depreciation if that was another rule that occurred over the last few years that actually caused that spike mm -hmm. <laughs> or helped increase that spike in 2018 uh, with a lot of that equipment order. So all those trucks came online and we saw that impact in 2019. 
where we saw capacity basically oversupply the market, increasing trucking failures. So the class eight orders are a fantastic data point to look at when you were talking about trying to figure out how much capacity is going to be added. And right now, the big question is, when are those truck orders going to come online and have carriers kind of learn their lesson from the past of oversaturating the market with equipment? So, Zach, I got a question for you. So class eight orders is one thing. When those orders actually get fulfilled and put into place is a whole nother thing. Right. We know that the economy, not just the freight economy, but the macro economy, but they both, they move in cycles. So historically, we've seen these massive spikes in orders come into place after, you know, these carriers get more money or maybe there's just been a ramp up in activity and they need it. By the time these orders come to fruition and they get produced, do we usually see or do we ever see a mismatch and okay, now we're just oversupplied with too many trucks and we don't need them anymore. We could have used them, you know, eight months ago. That's that's the problem. That's the that's the that's the art of ordering a class eight <laughs> truck is that when you have money to buy to buy them, you go out and you buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then by the time the truck gets there, you may not need it. Right. So it is a long decision process for a carrier to say how many, how many trucks they need, et cetera. And some of them are replacement orders for existing equipment that they're going to push to the used market so they don't have to incur maintenance charges, et cetera. So it's, it is, uh, it is a, a fantastic game to play if you're a financial analyst <laughs> at a carrier uh, to try to figure out what's the optimal replenishment cycle, how much capacity do we need to grow, how much are we going to need, how much of, these, how much of this freight is going to be present right. when, we, uh, when we get these orders you know, fully seated and whatnot. And of course, seating the equipment is a totally different story altogether, and that is also going to be another little headwind, which the Class 8 orders may give us a little bit of insight into as well. So, so speaking of Class 8 orders, we have someone very important coming up here. And I think, I don't know, I heard in the grapevine, like he's rearing and ready to go. We have our very own Alan Adler, who's been covering this market or this segment of the market pretty closely. Yeah, let's bring him on and see what, uh, see what he's got to say about all this. He, of course, covers this stuff extensively on FreightWaves.com. And we just talked about your article earlier, Alan. First of all, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. New show for me. This is a first. And Anthony and Zach, good to see you guys. Hope we can uh, solve world peace on this one. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, we'll give it our best shot. Uh, <laughs> make it worse. All right. Good. good so good. Uh, let's kick things off with, uh, you know, kind of your article. You know, you were talking about, you know, the employment situation for these OEMs. Do you uh, tell us a little bit about what you learned uh, when you were doing this article? Well, I think you're referring to the John O'Leary piece uh, that posted yesterday and and is getting a little bit of traction today. It kind of went up late today. Um, It was our first opportunity really to to talk to the new head of Dynamo Trucks. That's a good place to to get information because they are sort of the the big dog in the porch uh, as far as that goes. I mean, Packar is not too, too far behind them, but they're not going to catch them anytime soon. And so, you know... uh, O'Leary gave us a, kind of some time yesterday. We went into some of these issues. And, you know, what I chose for lead is simply that they're short of everything. They're short of workers in the plants. They're short of uh, parts depot workers. They're short of technicians. I mean, a- everything on the employment side is stretched. And we know that's he knows that's not just the truck business. That's, you know, the industries uh, across. So I think catching up is is something that you know, they hope to do, but but right now, um, I use the term, it's a bit of a cliche, but I use whack-a-mole because they've got, you know, with those things, and they've got, you know, uh, price inflation on commodities, which I'm sure you guys have talked about uh, quite a bit. 
They've got uh, supply chain difficulties. It's interesting. I was just on a webinar before I came on with you guys uh, from uh, FTR Transportation Intelligence, and um, you know Don Ake over there says this is as bad as it's been since World War II. You know, in terms of all these things kind of happening at once, and so you know the navigation routes are not easy. And uh, you just mentioned Zach the idea of seating trucks. I mean that's huge. There's there's six hundred thousand fewer drivers simply because of the National Drug Clearinghouse, right? That have t- been taken off the road, and there's not a great uh, glut of people wanting to become truck drivers, right? Yeah, exactly. So, no, the employment situation is like it's it's crazy to me that you know I I talk to my wife who's in physical therapy. Uh, they have the exact same problem. <laughs> you know, it has nothing to do with freight or trucking or transportation or durable goods at all. It's a service industry. They can't get people to come on board there either. So it's it, it's it's widespread throughout the. Uh, the economy itself. So what do you think, uh, you know, is this, are they seeing some delays, uh, you know, in terms of order fulfillment at these OEMs? Do you think that it's going to be a significant delay or have an impact down the road? Well, I think, I think the answer is yes to that. I, I don't know that they're going to uh, un- unpack that for you in terms of where and who's getting delayed. One of the comments yesterday that John O'Leary made was that, you know, if you really need a vehicle right now, let's say you're an ambulance company was the exam- example he gave, and you really need that ambulance, then, then Daimler's going to get that to you. You know, that's probably more of a class six or maybe even a class seven vehicle, but, uh, but they're going to get that to you. Um, if you are ordering either for, uh, you know, for replacement demand or maybe for capacity additions because, you know, business is good and, and it looks like it's going to stay good. Uh, you know, if you're trying to do that, maybe you can wait a little longer. So I think that, that what we've got right now and the May, the May orders are just out today, uh, last night today. And, and what you're looking at is is a, a pretty good sized drop off in terms of orders in May. But that is really misleading because the demand is still there. But there's nowhere to build them. You mentioned six to nine months in, in normal times, Zach, in, in terms of fulfillment of orders. We're at 11 months plus right now. There's no build slots left. There's there's no real assurance of getting a truck if you order it today. So I think I think one of the new things that fleets are having to exercise is patience. And they've got to say, well, we, we don't know what's going to happen with 2022 order books because these guys, the, the manufacturers won't open them until they have some clarity around pricing, commodity pricing and things like that. I mean, you know, trucks that were ordered, uh, you know, and, and delivered in the first quarter, the manufacturers pretty much ate those price increases. They didn't really pass them on uh, too much to, to the purchasers. But the trucks that are you know, sort of in process now and, and, you know, the aluminum and the steel and the wood and the rubber is all more expensive. There's probably going to be some negotiations before those trucks are delivered and they may well be more expensive. And some of that costs may be borne by the fleet. So, Alan, one of the things you're talking about is, of course, some of these raw materials and, and goods that go into this production. But can you also talk about the big one, uh, semiconductor shortages, which is also, I think, probably yeah. impacting some yeah. of it? It, it is. And we've seen a, a lot of interesting uh, approaches to, to how to handle that. I mean, first of all, there is an overall shortage, Anthony, as you know. Um, but but a, a company like Daimler, you know, uh, John O'Leary said yesterday, he said, look, he said, you know, we're a global company. We can go out there and sort of source where we need to. Um, Daimler was an interesting case in that they took rolling downtime at two plants in North Carolina earlier this year. I think that's all been pretty much restored now. But but they focused the semiconductors on the more profitable Class 8 trucks and kind of let the medium duties, uh, you know, go for a little bit. I think what's happening now is that they're starting to get a little more visibility on where are those chips that we need. Um, I, I love the story that, that uh, 
that Packard told us. Kevin was uh, Kevin Bainey uh, told me we we're out in Phoenix for for a medium duty uh, ride and drive, and he told me he said, you know, uh, he said we didn't really lose three thousand units in the first quarter; we just parked them, and that's what they did. So they they had unfinished trucks, and they they put them in the yard. And they waited till they got the chips. They put the chips in, and then all of a sudden in March you saw the production numbers go up from February and everything. Oh, well, we may be out of the woods Uh uh-uh. because we went right back down in April and now in May, but we don't really know about production yet, but, uh, but, but we know that the orders are beginning to look a little more realistic, but it's either going to be probably 2022 or 2023 when you see an actual peak in this cycle. Um, and then it'll start to trend back down again. But, but uh, the, the demand underlying demand is very much still there. Yeah. So, you know, in 2018, we saw this kind of humpbacked, this double humped uh, cycle for the Class 8 orders. Do you think we're going to see something similar this year? Or do you think carriers have kind of like slowed down because they know they're not going to get the equipment uh, very quickly? There's a lot of similarities, Zach, in, in, in terms of what's happening this year and what happened in 2018. But there are also some differences. Uh, one of the things that you had in 2018, you mentioned uh, a lot of the cash that, that these guys, uh, the fleets had to buy equipment. And that's true. And of course, with the spot rates where they are now, they've got cash rolling in. And, and you know, what do I do with it? In 2018, you remember you're coming off of the uh, the tax cut. So they had kind of a right. windfall and you could either invest that or, or pay tax on it. So, you know, buy equipment. Uh, this time, though, it, it seems to be more uh, more on a needs basis, a capacity expansion and things like that. There's also a couple other things you mentioned. Used trucks. I want to talk about that in a minute. But uh, one of the things that's happened is you've got a lot of safety equipment that is impacting uh, total cost of ownership, especially on, on uh, you know, on safety. And the safety basically will uh, go better on the uh, verdicts if you get into a crash. You've got, you've got a lot of uh, traffic uh, and, and safety crash avoidance equipment now that is standard and is coming standard on the newer trucks, say from 2018 forward. So there's a real desire to get into these newer trucks and ideally, uh, you know, impact that insurance bill and also, uh, you know, uh, with a lot more visibility both inside and outside the, the vehicle. So I think that's another factor that's driving a lot of the replacement demand is to get into these sort of safety or safer trucks, if you will. So Alan, you, you're talking about um, existing trucks. Can you kind of get into some of that? Not just like these new trucks, but you know, existing trucks that were already uh, on the road, or maybe the market's tightening for those. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned, I think Anthony or, or Zach, one of you guys said that you know it's really hard to get a, a good used truck. You can get some older older stuff. I, I watched that used equipment market as well, and uh, uh, you know, right now prices are very very high on anything from sort of twenty. 17 forward there you know it bounces around a little bit but auction numbers uh, you know are are higher uh retail uh, numbers stores are higher i talked to one guy who's at uh, a leasing company uh, for story last month on 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 used trucks and he said you know 25 percent price increase is not even the highest that you're seeing so it flows straight down you know when you can't get the new truck you try to get the used truck and a lot of these fleets are doing one of two things either trying to buy up that off-lease four-year-old vehicle uh you know to put into service or uh and this was a real issue last year around this time was holding on to trucks because there was no real value in the used market now there's plenty of value if you want to offload your stuff but i just gonna say wait a minute maybe we can go five hundred thousand miles in this truck instead of four hundred thousand or five years instead of four years 
So I think, you know, everybody's making these decisions based on, you know, what can I turn into cash today? And if you have to go out and buy trucks, like you said, Zach, that's a tough thing to do. Uh, and you're going to pay more for them, right? Uh, so maybe you hold on a little longer. Yeah, I, I, I know a guy in the used truck space. He was telling me that there was simply nothing, <laughs> nothing available uh, the other day. So, I mean, I, that's not shocking at all, especially from what you're telling me. So has there been any like, I mean, now, now that they're just struggling to keep up with demand, has there been any further interest in growing the electric vehicle space? Has that become a thing that they're kind of putting the brakes on for a minute? Or is the demand growing and they're still continuing to invest that and move that down the road for the class eights? Yeah, it, it's actually it's actually growing faster. And it isn't really because of capacity needs for today. But I think everybody in the business in, in, in trucking sees that, you know, either it's government pressure or some other kind of pressure to to decarbonize the fleet, to, to run cleaner. And so, you know, the, the interest in at least trying these electric trucks, the class eight trucks, is is really high. I think I just saw this morning that uh, Volvo made a, a sale off of the trucks they're going to build in Virginia, the electric trucks there. Uh, Daimler has its books open. Uh, uh, Packar, uh, Kenworth, and Peterbilt are taking orders. Uh, Navistar will build have a new plant coming in San Antonio next year. Their first vehicle there will be their medium-duty uh, electric truck. So uh, the the demand uh, demand is high, mostly from a I want to check this out perspective. They're not ordering thousands of these trucks at this right. point, but they're ordering fives and tens to see if this is something that's really going to work. Um, one of the things that John O'Leary pointed out yesterday that's really important is that there you have that classic chicken and egg. You've got, I can give you the truck, but I don't have anywhere for you to charge it. And that's a problem, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to, uh, on the medium duty side, it's easier because you can, you know, put your charger behind the fence and, you know, return to base at night and you've got a pretty stable uh, opportunity where to charge. But if you're a class eight truck and you're, uh, you know, running long haul and, and that sort of thing, you're going to need some efficient, you know, uh, high, high wattage uh, charging along the way. And uh, that is not there yet. So, so we've got an infrastructure question, uh, you know, that's got to be answered for these things. But I think the best numbers I've seen, and these again, interestingly enough, come from Daimler from O'Leary's predecessor, uh, Roger Nielsen. He said he sees medium duties at maybe 30% of the market electric by 2030, and maybe half as much, so 15% of class eight being electric by that time. Um, that's a pretty fast ramp, if you think about it, you know, to get those trucks built and out there and again, have the infrastructure. Every one of these manufacturers has some kind of, um, oh, I guess you call it charging as a service where they'll help get the chargers in and, you know, they even sell you the charger, you know, and that, and that kind of thing. So, so they see revenue, I think, uh, all along the spectrum there. I think the idea, though, is going to be that, you know, to to get to a critical mass of electric, we're a ways off. So one of the things that we're seeing right now, of course, is a capacity crunch across the board. Zach, one of the things you mentioned was how people are potentially getting more efficient. And so, Alan, I'm wondering if you're hearing anything or seeing anything on your end about, you know, a lot of these carriers have to do with what they have right now. Are you hearing anything about new types of efficiencies or even kind of implications or changes to dealing with some of this uh, shortage right now? Yeah, you know, I, I love this story. I wrote it last week and, and had an opportunity to buy one of these trucks. It's one example, Anthony, but it's, uh, it's the idea of replacing outside mirrors with video cameras. Uh, that is uh, having, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a 12-inch or 15-inch um, array of, of video on your A-pillar in the truck 
actually on both sides, on both of the A-pillars, um, removing the mirror from the outside and letting the camera do the work. And basically not not the uh, forward camera, but everything else around the truck. So say 270 degrees instead of a 360 view. Um, there's safety implications to this, certainly, but there's also tremendous fuel uh, savings from this particular technology. And again, you're getting some fleets now that are getting all in on it. Uh, you cannot, because the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has not approved these for OEM installation yet, but they at the uh, uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration will allow, there's three companies that have an exemption, five-year exemption, allowing them to be done as retrofits. So truck comes out of the factory, it's got its mirrors on, but Daimler, here they go again, are doing pre-wiring for this particular technology so they can, in fact, take it to an installer, take those mirrors off, put caps on them, and then, you know, uh, have those cameras in there. That is potentially one mile savings per gallon. And if you met, uh, do the math on that, that's, that's a lot of money per year, right? So so this is getting a lot of interest. Maverick Transportation, I think, has picked up on it uh, in terms of going across the fleet. Tyson is looking at it. And uh, so you've got some big fleets that are starting to buy into it. Um, company out here where I am in Michigan, up the road from me, called uh, Stone Ridge. They do a lot of different uh, hardware uh, activity, including ELDs and so forth. But they they are a leader in this mirror space. Another company out of Germany um, has got these as standard equipment on the Mercedes-Benz Actros, which is the fleet Freightliner Cascadia, basically same truck, and uh, they're standard over there. More for a uh, more for a, a, a fuel economy than a safety. Uh, you know, impact over there. Uh, so they're coming, and it's something that I think you will see NHTSA. They started, John, our colleague, uh, John Gallagher, wrote last week that uh, that NHTSA is now talking to drivers about testing these out and, and that sort of thing. That that tells me they were getting closer to, you know, making regulation that will allow them. Um, and, uh, and again, the fleets like them. Uh, they tested them early. Uh, they really like that technology. Of course, you're talking aerodynamics, right? You pull those they're required to be 50 inches, but they could be up to 200 square inch mirrors off the truck. All of a sudden, the air is flowing around that truck a whole lot better, right? And so your aerodynamic gains are huge. And uh, so that's one. And then our, our friends over, you know, Mike Roth over at the uh, North American Council for Freight Efficiency, uh, they do these run on less programs where they're testing trucks to see, you know, what, what can you do? They did a regional one. They've done a long haul where they get fleets to sort of they're not hypermiling necessarily, but they're but they're checking different technologies to see what really makes a difference. And of course, you know your skirts and closures and things like that all help. Um, interesting though, we're back to electric. They are doing their run on less is electric this year, so they're doing workshops right now, leading to the actual run on less program in September, where they'll basically have pretty much everybody who's got an entry in that electric vehicle space and trucking is going to be participating. That's so I, I kind of want to divert a little bit because you mentioned something about, you know, the, the auto manufacturers up there. And, you know, a lot of the people, obviously, that watch our show, they have an interest in the automotive freight and the automotive industry. Can you draw any parallels or connection between what you're seeing in the, uh, the OEM space and just the, the passenger vehicle space? Are they seeing the same types of, you know, disruptions, challenges? I know that there's been plenty of plants that are operating on shortened schedules uh, because they can't get semiconductors, et cetera. Are we seeing any easing in that or any, uh, is it similar to the trucking space for the class eights? 
Well, trucking accounts for about 1%, Zach, of all the semiconductor use, okay? And I think the auto industry, if I'm not mistaken, is about 10%. Um, the history on that, as you probably know, was that a lot of the car companies canceled their orders during the pandemic. And and uh, semiconductors or chips are a long lead item. You know, they're, what, 8, 10, 12 weeks to get them. So the supply that the auto industry gave up on got diverted to other things like to Nintendo and to you know, <laughs> switch and the switch for anyway, they, everybody got chips except the auto companies. I think that there's, and I don't follow it closely. So I, I want to be a little careful how much I say, but we know that Ford got hit very heavily by this. You know, they, they predicted that they could lose half of their production in the second quarter because of the semiconductors. For some reason, GM, uh, where I used to work, hasn't had quite the same problem. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a sourcing issue or how they've done it, but they haven't felt quite the impact uh, of that. Uh, you know, I, I knew that I was coming on today, so I took a look a little bit yesterday at what was happening with monthly sales. There's not that many companies that report monthly anymore, but the Asian companies reported really, really strong sales for May, which means they have inventory and they were probably eating through it. Um, I, it's really hard to say. I mean, obviously, some of these commodity issues are going to affect the car companies as well as trucking. A revised uh, from FTR a, a little while ago today, and he was saying that if you took auto production out of the mix, you know, in terms of the impact that it's having, it really wouldn't see quite as much of a disruption, either in the supply chain or in inventories or any of it. So I, I think it's a, a really, really big part of this, um, but I don't anymore cover cars as much, so I'm just not as able to help you there. So, Alan, uh, one of the big things I'm, I'm always wondering about is the long term or, you know, what's going to what this is all going to look like months from down the line. I think maybe that's the economist minded me of like always want to kind of forecast three to six months from now or even a year from now. But as you mentioned, this is an ex there's an extended fulfillment cycle on a lot of these uh, new orders coming in. When we're, you know, maybe looking at six to maybe even 12 months from now, do you think we're going to be a little bit, a little too late? There's going to be maybe an oversupply of trucks or do you think it's still going to be uh, something that we're going to really have that demand for as these fleets start to come back online? Well, I think a couple things there, and this will feed into your economics background, is uh, depending on what we see with inflation, um, I think you could see some orders get canceled. You know, there's really no penalty uh, on the truck. Uh, manufacturer, excuse me, on the fleets, if they place an order and then cancel it, you know, they don't pay a penalty for that. So, you know, you might see some cancellations if pricing goes crazy. Uh, right now, all the indicators look like really strong 2022, really strong, probably peak 2023, and then start to trend downward after that in terms of, uh, you know, where we are with both uh, production and ultimately deliveries. Um, it does feel like you have a lot more going on. I and mean, we saw it certainly on the consumer side during the, the height of the pandemic. And that was, you know, home delivery and things like that. You've got these hybrid models of people working, you know, a little bit in the office and at home. I mean, look at what we're doing. Of course, I don't come down there anyway, but maybe <laughs> once, but I, I haven't been in the shop for a long time. Uh, but I, I will tell you that, you know, for those who, who work at home, you know, there's still going to be a great demand. And, you know, I think that does affect maybe not as much the class eight because you've got, uh, you know, uh, you know, your class four and five vehicles are, are, are going to be continue to be 
in demand, maybe more in demand than, than the long haul uh, trucking, but you're still going to need the trucking, right? And this all ties into, into what's happening with, with all these uh, uh, ships sitting out in, in the ports that aren't getting in and, and things like that. So everything seems to be backed up. We're going to stretch this out, is my, po- is my point, Anthony. I think you see a stretched out cycle, not just in terms of producing trucks, but in terms of the cycle itself. I mean, you know, this is a very, you know, peak and trough kind of business, but it looks like the peak may extend this time a, a, a little longer than we usually see. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's what you're finding. You no, know, I think you're spot on, Alan. I, th- I think it's similar across the board. Now, I want to pull up this one chart. This is the van outbound tender rejection index with the flatbed outbound tender rejection index. So this is essentially two different sections of the economy being measured here. You've got the industrial construction heavy flatbed sector, along with your retail consumer product, um, you know, just about general commodity sector in the van tender rejection rate there in yellow. And the blue one is, of course, flatbed. And we see a huge divergence in these two sectors. Uh, Anthony, of course, has talked about this a lot. And, you know, the flatbed tender rejection index is just getting going this year. Uh, do, do you think this is indicative, Alan, of, you know, what, what you've seen in kind of the manufacturing space? Does this, does this line up with what you've seen, uh, you know, over there in the OEM side? Yeah, I think I think to an extent it does. I always start a little bit to get my bearings on these charts, but I'll tell you what we're seeing with flatbed is it trailed uh, dry and reefer uh, vans uh, dramatically, and for the last four or five months, it's been coming back nicely, starting to tail off again a little bit. I think it could come back if we get anything meaningful in in uh, infrastructure, right? I mean, you know, because they. You know, right. hauling the kind of stuff that they have to tie down is is going to become important again. Uh, but flatbed has made a nice recovery in in recent months, so you could potentially see some rejections as it looks like the chart showing. Uh, you know, dry and reefer um, have have you know peaked really late last year uh, in the pandemic and have continued to be strong. Uh, it's interesting that right now on the uh, on the trailer side, uh, you know, you can't you can't even get a build slot for anything. Uh, I was just down in Savannah last week uh, on a on a trip with my wife, but I took time to go over to Great Dane, which is uh, which is based there, and uh, talking to Chris Hammond, who is the um, he's the head of sales for them, and he said, you know, we we can't open 2022 yet because we uh, you know don't have enough visibility on commodity pricing. He said, but I don't have any left for 21. He said I can't build anything. Maybe a few flat beds in the fourth quarter is about all he can do. So. Uh, it looks like everything's very tight across across the way, and I guess that would ultimately feed into a rejection, tender rejection. Um, yeah, I mean, metric. you make a good point about the trailers. I, I meant to bring up a chart of the trailer orders uh, that that we have, uh, you know, to talk about that a little bit. We got so into the the class eight side of things, but you know, maybe maybe the next time uh, we'll get into yeah. the trailer side of things. Uh, but that's. You know, are you seeing real quickly? Are you seeing, uh, you know, the same exact problem on the trailer side that you do on the van or the class eights? Yeah. Yes. I mean, the build the build time is a little shorter. Uh, you know, the the time to production to delivery is a little shorter. But yeah, they're they're maxed out. There's not much they can do at this point, um, except try to negotiate or, or excuse me, navigate between commodity pricing and you know availability is okay if you're willing to pay for it, but you've got to you've got to have the money. To, to pay for it. And they're all pretty maxed out. I try to, I try to make sure that in our stories on 
Fandler's that we don't just use the numbers. I think that's a partial ball score. So we try to get to some of these guys who make them and talk to them about what's going on in their shops. And we've had some good success with that. And, and you know, Chris Hammond being one of those people. And then um, Sean Kenny out at uh, Hyundai Translate is another really helpful source on this stuff. I mean, he's very, very candid about what they go through. Right, right. So, uh, Alan, I'm told that you're ready to debate. Normally, we, we'd send our guests on their way. Uh, but if you're wanting to, to jump in on the fun here to debate, I'll, I'll let you stay for a minute uh, while we close down. I'll the show, stay. Right? What's our subject, brother? What, what right. are we going to talk about? Uh, the best I know I'm dead mo- moment in a movie. So basically, either by choice or by walking in unwittingly, they realize it's over. Now, I've got a few. I'll make it a little bit easier. So I'll give you a list. Uh, of, okay. of these. So I'm going to let you and Anthony duke it out <laughs> and then I'll chime in and, and beat both of you. Um, no, uh, but I've the seen what one... you've done with Craig, by the way, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, take you to the you school know. more than once. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I won, but I lost. Uh, the, uh, so, yeah, we're still here, so you didn't lose that badly. <laughs> uh, so the first one here is Jurassic Park when the guy's shooting the gun and he sees that he's been snuck up on by the raptor and goes, clever girl. He knows he's about to die. The next one, Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, and sorry for spoilers, <laughs> when he realizes that he's dead. <laughs> uh, Terminator 2 would be the next one. You know, you get the big thumbs up there at the end when he puts himself into the lava. Uh, Iron Man, uh, for those of you that are fans of the Avengers, again, sorry for the spoiler <laughs> alert there, but it's been a few years. You can you can deal with that, uh, you know, as he kills Thanos. Uh Randy Quaid in Independence Day as he flies into the spaceship. And the last one, Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Disappointing movie, but he knew he was dead. Obviously, he's a classic character. Which one of those do you feel? Yeah, my problem, Zach, is I've seen two of the four. Or two of the six. (laughs) That's my problem. But I will tell you that. Yeah, okay. I will tell you that the death of Iron Man Mm -hmm. in. You know, uh, I am a Marvel guy. I love Marvel stuff, love the Marvel universe. Uh, I will tell you that not only was that a shocker, but it was like, really? They killed off Iron Man? How'd they do that? But, you know, so, so yeah, that would be my pick. All right. I have to go. Thanos, if I'm going way, off badass. Of, yeah. Thanos was dope. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jurassic Park, the Clever Girl one, okay. I love because, in a sense, it's like he's taking it as a game, like, well played. Mm hmm. Well played. I accept this. Like you did good. And I think that's one of those true sick hunter mentalities. Like I'm in it truly for the game. And uh, that was like a game that he obviously lost. And yeah, I, you know, you're wrong, but you know, I I actually will agree with Alan a lot more there (laughs) because uh, Iron Man, uh, obviously you, you go through all that series of movies and then at the very end, I mean, honestly, I don't, I thought it was pretty epic the way that they did it leading into that because he obviously kind of kickstarted that whole, you know, return to the franchise. You know, the Marvel world was based on Iron Man success. And so Disney decided, hey, we had that to go. So I'm I'm good with that one. But I'm going to diverge from both of you and say, I'm sorry, but if you don't remember what it was like to watch The Sixth Sense and see Bruce Willis realize you know, his wife rings, his wife's ring or his ring, I guess, actually drops out of her hand, bounces next to the, you know, the closet. And you go the whole movie thinking that this dude has just had a broken life. You know, his wife, his marriage is in a shamble. 
this kid he's been trying to help consistently, you know, and he realizes, wait, the only reason this kid's talking to me is because he can see, he can actually see dead people mm -hmm. and I'm one of them. I, I don't know about y'all, but the feeling I got was, and it, maybe you, that was one of the movies you haven't seen. So sorry about that, Alan. But <laughs> well, yeah, I, I remember I remember the trailer, okay. but Zach, I, I do. I wonder why you didn't mention The Departed, though. Which which person? There's the so Departed? much. The Departed? Yeah, no, no, I <laughs> know the well, movie. It's one of the best of all the time. the dead mob guys, right? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, the whole the whole movie is, yeah. is, is about dead mob guys. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I given time to think about it, I could probably come up with a couple myself. But Because I really love the movies, but I'm, I'm a big Marvel Universe guy. I love it. Not as much as one of my sons does. He he actually has a uh, Love You 3000 uh, shirt, which is, of course, what Tony Stark told his daughter, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, uh, right? late in the movie. Yeah, yeah I, so with an I, I wondered what that was. Uh, now you're, now that you're starting to pull the emotions. I am legend at, at, at that end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there's two endings, of course. But <laughs> you're like, driving me nuts. You're killing me. That ending, I'm going to go home sad. <laughs> go home sad and rewatch <laughs> the ending. Look it up on YouTube. But I think that's another Anthony, one. Anthony, we have to let him win, right? I mean, yeah. we got to let him win or he won't come back. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. And then we have Cody Mathis, who <laughs> also mentioned the Titanic. So, I mean, that's another one for consideration. All right, all right, all right. He didn't have fun. to die. Save Jack. Yeah, <laughs> enough fun for the week before Anthony takes me down the feelings route again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Too far. So, Alan, thank you so much uh, for joining thank our show Thank you today. for having me. Uh, and yeah, thank you, of course. Much, yeah, thank you for what they can check you out on FreightWaves.com, obviously, and of course on a lot of our other shows. Um, let me and, let me get a quick plug in for oh, yeah. Truck Talk, which is our which is our newsletter. Please. It's not as new as it was. It's about four months old now, and we're building an audience over there. Um, what we do with Truck Talk on Fridays uh, is you know by email if you subscribe, and of course it's on the site as well. Um, we're trying to provide some perspective and context for some of the things that go on. There are a lot of things that we hear about every week that in and of themselves maybe don't warrant a full story or full treatment. But when enough of them happen, and a little preview for tomorrow, when you get enough things where people are telling you about things they've done, whether it's hauling watermelons autonomously or or it's testing hybrid electrics up in the Northwest or, or, or whatever, when you pull those together and you can put a little perspective with it in terms of what does this mean? We're trying to do that with the newsletter as much as we can and and now, so far, people seem to like it. So, um, you know, truck talk on Fridays. That's awesome. No, thanks for that. I I learned something now too. So, again, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Well, go subscribe. Well, yeah, I'll take exactly. I'll take the number. No, I'm definitely subscribing. Yeah. If I can figure out how that computer thing works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. There is that. <laughs> well, thank you again, Alan. Thanks Have again. a great day. Uh, thanks for tuning in as well to our audience, Anthony Smith. That's it. We also had Dooner late chime in for uh, the guy on the. In the bathroom in Jurassic Park as well. I don't know. I got to rewatch all these movies now. So I got to go down this whole movie lane. But thank you all for tuning in for this episode of Freightonomics. We'll be back again next week. Week. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm not taking a vacation.